you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. Awesome, awesome. This morning, if you are taking notes, and I hope you are, I'm gonna, I want to talk to you under the title, Joyful and Triumphant, How Slaves Become Sons. How Slaves Become Sons. Last week, we, we spent our time uh, uh, looking at the, the reality of the human condition when it is not in union with Jesus. Started out by, by looking at really the centerpiece of our text and and and, and understanding that that when we are when we are separated when we are apart from the finished and final work of Jesus what Paul here tells us is that we are slaves to the elementary principles of the world everybody say slaves that's an offensive term today and I think it's it's right that it's offensive and I think that it's right that the scriptures continue to use it to offend us. Because the reality is when we are separated, when we are, not, when we are not living in union with Jesus, that's exactly what we are. We are slaves to the elementary principles. I love if you continue down past what we read and you, the Bible goes past what we just read. Does everybody know that? There's more in here than just that. And if you get all the way down to verse, verse 9, Paul is continuing to describe these elementary, these elementary principles. He calls them the weak and worthless things of this world. And Paul says we are enslaved, we are trapped by both the, the natural things in the world that try to do that, addiction and hatred and selfishness and bondage, and, but also the supernatural things of this world, the, 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 the evil in the unseen realm. And both of these things work in concert to try to keep you captive and enslaved to them. And they do this because we have inherited sin, the scripture tells us. We've inherited this in our birth, and we, we rejected God as God, and we rebelled against him. But praise be to Jesus, he rescues us, come on, from this enslavement. And that's about all we got to last week. And this week, I want to actually walk through each of this sequence that Paul lays out here beautifully for us in the way that we, we shift from being slaves and we become, come on, sons. So I want to walk through each of these terms. Here's, here's my plan, I'm just going to let you know. I'm going to talk about what we're going to talk about, and then I'm going to talk about it. Cool. So let, let's, let's see each of these turns, because I, I don't want us to get lost in the turns. You ever, you ever go on a, on a road trip, and you follow somebody? Have you caravan in a road trip before? And you got to know your turns, because if you get separated, come on, you don't know where the next turn is. I want to I make sure we all know where the turns are. So here's the, the first one. Redemption qualifies us for adoption. Redemption qualifies us for adoption. That's verse five. He says we're redeemed so that we might be adopted. Next, we see that adoption makes us agents of affection. Adoption makes us agents of affection. He says he puts his spirit within us and we cry, Abba, Father. Gives us new affections. And these new affections prove our new identity. Affection proves identity. Where do I get that in the text? He says that, 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 that we, 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 we desire him and we are no longer slaves, but we are sons. That's a new identity. 
Because we're sons, he gives us his spirit. We're sons, we're not slaves. Amen? Last turn, he says, that our identity manifests in delegation. Our identification manifests in delegation. He says that we are heirs through God. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. You ready? I will, I, will, I, will talk as, I will preach as good as you respond. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right, let's look at this. Uh, we talked about these first two last week, so I'm going to go quickly through these because I want to I get to this idea of, 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 of delegation, but, but we, need to, we, need to, we need to follow the turns. So, so let's go through this quickly. Redemption, by redemption, we means that we are rescued from our enslavement. We, we, we need to grasp this. We need to make sure we understand this, that, that, that Jesus, follow with me, if, if our problem is that we rejected God and we rebelled against him, that's what, that's what Genesis describes in what we call the fall of man. When, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what they were doing was they were, they were rejecting God's ability to be God. God had set the, the standards. God had set the rules. God had set the reality. And they said, you know what? We're going to reject your reality, God, and we're going to substitute our own. We're going to live by our own rules. We're going to decide what is right and what is wrong for ourselves. And they rebelled against his good plan by choosing their own. And here's, the, here's what redemption means. That Jesus denies your rejection. That Jesus destroys your rebellion. He denies your rejection. He says, uh, I don't agree. We say, well, I don't want anything to do with you. And God says, I don't really care. He denies our rejection. He continues to pursue us. We see this even in Genesis. Our our first parents reject God, and the first thing God does is come down to look for them. Come on, we got to get this about our Heavenly Father. We, 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 We've been taught by religion that God rejects sinners. In reality, He doesn't, He goes after them. We are the rejectors, He's not the rejector. He goes running after them. He, he goes searching for them. He goes looking for them. See, the, 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 our, our rejecting of God did not change who he is. It changed who we are. And redemption is about Jesus denying our rejection and destroying our rebellion. Sin and death are defeated on our behalf, and we are both bought by Jesus and brought back to him. That's what we mean by by, by redemption. And so we said that redemption doesn't just stop there, but redemption qualifies us so that we can then move into adoption. We're redeemed so we can be adopted. So what do we mean by adoption? By adoption, we mean that we are welcomed into the family of God. This is, is, is so stinking scandalous, it should bother you. Notice that, that Jesus, we, we've been walking through John. If, you're, if you've been hanging out with us, we've been walking through the gospel of John. And Jesus, anytime he claims to be family with God, religious people want to kill him. And Paul here is saying that we, uh, because we've been redeemed, that now qualifies us to be adopted, to be brought into the family of God, to be reunited with our creator. I like to say it this way. We go from being his enemy to being his family. We go from being dead to being alive. That happens when we're adopted, when we're, when we're made a part of his family, when we're brought in, when we're, when we're reconciled. We're no longer separated from the life and the light that is in him. But here's the amazing thing. 
This is, this is, the, this is the part where, where, where we didn't have time to get to last week, and I want to I make sure we get there. So yes, we're, we're, we're redeemed, and that redemption qualifies us for adoption. But what this text actually says is he doesn't just stop at adoption. He doesn't just say, okay, well, you're in my family now, whether you like it or not. But actually, his goodness wins over our affection. And so adoption makes us agents. I use that, that word, agents of affection. And I, 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 I struggle with, do I use affection or devotion? Because I think both are in the text, but I'm a, can I level with you for a second? I used affection to make somebody uncomfortable. Because, come on, church, we're good with, we're good with devotion. Because devotion, despite the fact that it's a very emotional word, we, we have taken emotion in, in the church, in Christendom, and completely made it devoid of any emotion because devotion to us is a book we buy in a section at the Christian bookstore. And we have our devotions in the morning. We don't like it, but we do it because we need to. But the scriptures say we are to be, we are to be filled with an affection. Come on. There's an emotional aspect of your relationship with God. I remember growing up and being told by, 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 by Christians, well, you don't want to get too emotional, like, like emotions are bad. I don't know where we picked up on this. The, the Bible describes God in emotional terms. God's jealous. God loves. God gets angry. Not Jesus God. Jesus God has feathered hair and pets sheep. Never gets angry. Except for that one time he made a whip and chased people out of church. He was, he, I don't know what to do with that. God is emotional. Emotions aren't bad. They're just bad leaders, amen? Not supposed to be led by our emotions. But our adoption makes us agents, rather, of affection. Adoption makes us agents of affection. What, what do we mean by that? I mean that he imparts the true heart of a son to us. Where do I get this? Am I just making this up? No. Chapter 6, or sorry, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent his, the, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. His, the spirit of his son comes into our hearts. What, what, what Paul's trying to get out here is this. He not only brings you into the family, but he wins your affections. He wins your heart. He, he, when I say he denies your rebellion, I mean it. He genuinely denies you. He does not make room for you to reject him anymore. He wins over our hearts. He wins over our affection. I love the way it says it here. He, we, our hearts cry. That, that word is an emotional word. They cry two things, Abba and Father. Let me see if I can help you understand this. Abba is not just, fill in your descriptive word, banned from the 70s. Whatever term, I'm, I didn't say nothing. You get to pick your descriptive term for Abba. It's not just that. It's actually, it, what, what, it's, what it means here, it's, it, it, can, it can be translated, what, 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 the, what Paul's trying to get at is dad. And he says we cry out dad and father. What, what, what does he mean? He means, he's using two terms. Let me see if I can describe it this way. He's saying, in dad, I'm familiar with you. And in father, I, I have a familial connection with you as well. Well, I, 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 I'm related to you, you're my father, but I relate to you, you're my dad. 
Some of you have, have fathers that you are related to, but you don't relate to. Some of you have fathers that you, you relate to, but you're actually not related to them. People in your life that have, have, have fathered you, you might not be, it might not be genetically connected, but, but they, they have, they've been a dad to you, amen? We have these things in our life. What, what, what Paul here is saying is that in our adoption, it's not just legal and positional, it's actual and relational. It is, it is legal. We are, we are his. We come on. We belong to him. That's really good news. Do you know that's actually part of the promise that God made to Abraham? Charismatic people, we like to talk about the blessed going in and blessed going out and blessed in the city and blessed in the country. We like to talk about all that, but actually what, 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 what God said is not just I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you descendants. What he said is, I'm going to be your God. You're going to belong to me, and I'm going to belong to you. And, 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 and in this adoption, God doesn't just say, okay, now we, we sort of have this contractual relationship. No, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to impart my spirit. My, the spirit of God working internally within us wins over, come on, our affections to him. We love him when we used to either hate him or, come on, some of us just ignore him. When I say you were an enemy of God, some of you go like, I was an enemy of God. I didn't even care about God. Guess what? That's being an enemy of God. Because if God is truly God, that means he is worth all of our praise and all of our worship and all of our joy and all of our adoration. And to ignore one who is worth everything is to rebel against him. And so even in our ignorance, the scriptures say, we reject and rebel against him. And the cool part is God doesn't really care. He doesn't care whether you did it willfully and knowingly or whether you did it out of ignorance. Regardless, the scriptures say you were, you were separated from him and he made a way for you to be reconnected. He redeemed you and he adopted you and now he is winning over. Come on, your affections. You love things you used to hate. You hate things you used to love. We now love God as both our father and our dad. Did you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I don't know, I want to help somebody, and I don't want to make, I don't want to make you any more uncomfortable than I want to. But did you know that it's okay to refer to God as your dad? I hear a lot of people pray, dear heavenly father. And then King James starts to come out. Yea, verily. Truly, truly, amen. The Spirit's work in the heart of the people of God calls us and causes us to relate to God in intimacy. And this is so vitally important, I think, because we, we can get off track in this really easy. We, we can think that, we, we, can, we can understand the holiness of God, the otherness of God, and that's right and good. But that, that, that I think the, the, the necessary grasping of the otherness of God is actually not designed to keep you away from him, but designed that when you come into intimacy with him, you respond in an appropriate degree of rejoicing and thanksgiving and glorifying him because a God this other than welcomes you into intimate relationship with him. You tracking with me? This is an important distinction, I think, for us to, 
to, to, to get a hold of. And let, let, me, let me see if I can take the next term with this. You ready? So, so that affection then proves, affection proves our identification. Let me say it this way. Our new affection proves our new identification. Our new affections prove our new identification. The primary evidence of your salvation is that you love him when you used to not love him. I'm gonna let that sink in for a second. It's not about, come on, it's not about like, like, oh, I, I, I stopped doing all this bad stuff. I started doing all this good stuff. I used, to, I used to not help little old ladies across the street, and now I help little old ladies across the street. I must be saved. And I, I want to be careful in the way that I walk through this. I believe that when you are converted, freedom from every bondage, every addiction, every sinful habit, every wrong way of thinking is yours in Christ. Okay? Without denying that at all, let me say that you stopping doing whatever addictive, bad, moral behavior that you've done is not the proof that you're saved. Because I know a whole lot of people who used to be drunk and are walking through 12 steps that aren't drunks anymore. And they're still just as much going to hell sober as they were drunks. And this is the part that, 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 that's gonna give me some emails. I know some people who are fully saved and they're still drunks. Because the reality is the primary evidence for your conversion is new affections, not new behaviors. Do we believe that you'll have new behaviors? Absolutely. This is why Paul had to talk out of both sides of his head. He was like, like the more you sin, the more grace abounds. Well, do we sin so grace abounds? Of course not. See, grace extends and grace works in our heart to change over, to give us new affections, to give us a new desire, to give us a new longing. And here's what you need to understand. You do not have a dual nature. I don't even know how I got here, but we're gonna go here. Some of y'all here, like, well, you have new effects. You go, well, I like him, but I also still like, no, you don't. Not if you're his. The problem is this. You don't have a dual nature. You're double-minded, James says, James 1.8 and James 4.8. You're double, you still think wrong. The problem's not your identity. The problem is, 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 is the little gooey, squishy stuff between your ears. The problem is the way that you think. That's why Paul says you need to take every thought captive. I'm going to liberate somebody. Not every thought you think is worth thinking. I know some of you are not going to believe this next statement that I'm about to make, but you have limited intelligence. Your spouse does not doubt that, but you might doubt that. You, you cannot afford, I love you, to think every thought you think you need to think. Did I say that right? Sure. Take every thought captive. See, the problem is that you lived, you lived your whole life prior to your conversion believing lies about who God is and lies about who you are. Your whole life prior to your conversion, you believed lies. You either believed that God was, was angry and, and, and distant and non-interested in you and, and bad, 
or you believed he was insignificant. And the reality is, come on, follow with me, God is immutably good. He is always and only good. So everything he calls us to is a manifestation of his goodness. So when he says, go this way, he's saying, go that way because it's the best way you can go. People find out that I believe in the absolute sovereignty of God and they go, well, then how do you believe that if you were to walk out and get shot in the face? If I walk out from this building right now and get shot in the face, that is the best thing that could have happened to me. Because God is always and only good. And you believed lies about yourself. Either you believed that you were just the greatest thing that ever existed and you were the center of the universe. You're not. Or you, you believed that you were just some horrible, disgusting, unsavable, wretched, depraved person who could never, ever walk in the presence of God. And guess what? That denies your redeemability. And so now you have to believe that you are, you are unconditionally, this is going to get me some, some, some response, it better. You are unconditionally loved and accepted in Christ. Unconditionally. Well, unconditionally, conditionally. <laughs> no. But see, we lived our life for so long believing those lies that God isn't good and that we are. That, 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 that to have to shift is a, it, we, what we have to do. <laughs> Here's the cool thing. What you have to do is the same thing you did to get here. Repent and believe. Repent. Repent means to admit and abandon. Hey, I believe a lie about God. That, admit that actually that, that thing where you think if I just go onto the website and look at those things again, that it somehow will make me happy. That's actually not a, that has nothing to do with that. You think, well, if I just shoot this stuff in my veins again, if I just drink that stuff again, if I just smoke that stuff again, if I just hook up with her again, if I just get that promotion again, if I just work harder again, all of those lies aren't lies about those things. There's lie, they're lies that you believe about God, that he's hidden good things in what he said are bad things. It's about the, every addiction in your life is theological. It's M-A-R-K at sozospokane.org. You know, you see, my dad did. Doesn't, no, 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 in him you're new. Well, I have a history of in him you're new. But everybody in my family has, in him you are new. But I've always, doesn't matter. The problem is not that you have dual name. Well, see, I'm still, I'm still a son and a slave. No, you're not. You're either a son or a slave. There's no both. See, here's the problem. I, I, I love, I love, I love uh, some, some, some writers that have taught us real deep truths in, 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 in Christian history, but the problem is when we don't allow the scriptures to point out where they made errors, we continue in problems. And one of my favorite theologians that ever lived is a guy named Jonathan Edwards, and he was so wrong about this area that I stayed stuck believing lies about myself for too long, because here's what Jonathan Edwards taught me. You are a snow-covered pile of dung. You're still a pot, you're, you're saved, you're snow covered. You're, God just covers up your dungness with his snowness. I don't know why snow's better than poop. Clearly he didn't live here. So I don't want to drive or walk through either, right? Like both are not fun. He says that we're just snow covered dung piles. I'm, I'm sorry, John, that was, I love you, you helped me with a lot of stuff, but that's not what this says. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. He wins over 
our affections. He, he gives us new desires because we are, come on, new. And our new affection proves our new identification. So if, if, if you fell last night, this morning, right before you walked in the door, here's what I'm asking you. Do you desire him or you desire that? You can't desire both. You can believe a lie for a moment and think there's still good there, but is your heart, is your desire for him? Here's what I want to tell you. If it is, then I can give you every assurance. If your heart, if your affections are still pointed toward him, I can give you every assurance in the scriptures that you belong to him. If not, I don't care what addictions you've overcome. If you don't long for him more than you long for anything else, I can give you no assurance that you belong to him. I should have gone it the other way, shouldn't I? Because then you've been happy at the end. So new affections prove our new identity. I love, I love this. I like to use this sometimes again because I just want to make sure that any religious people in the room know that they're in the wrong place. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, in the Passion Translation, which I'm fully aware is not a translation. I like the way it says this, though. And so that we would know for sure that we are his True children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, you are true father. You, you, you're our true father. New identity, new identity is proven by new affections, amen? So by identification, what do we mean? That we are not a redeemed slave, we are a, we are a real son, See, he doesn't just legally adopt you. This, 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 this spirit transplant, or what the, the prophets in the Old Testament called a heart transplant, he said, I'm going to take your heart of stone out of you, and I'm going to put a heart of flesh inside of you. See, heart affection is what gets at the difference between sons and slaves. We said before, slaves either end up in a camp of rebellion or, or religion. I did find out, I do want to just say this, I did find out somebody here actually has a Grandma Betty. But it's okay, because the person who talked to me about her said, like, I have a Grandma Betty, but you're right, she's going to hell. So it was like, okay, I'm a, so I've been praying for Grandma Betty ever since, I'm not kidding, praying for Grandma Betty, like, save Grandma Betty from her rebellion and religiosity. So, so, uh, but we, we talked about this, right? And, and, and what, what we need to understand is, is that that identification is really tied to affection. The heart is the issue. Can I say it this way? The heart of the issue is the heart of the issue? See, re- 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 rebellious people's hearts, they beat hard and they beat, they beat in the opposite direction of what they're told. Heart, rebellious hearts, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm not going to go where you tell me to go. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I like. You can't make me do anything. It's mine. Hearts of religious people, they beat light and fast. I got to wear the right thing. I got to go to the right place. I can't go to the wrong place. I got to wear the right thing. I can't wear the wrong thing. I got to say the right thing. When I wave to people in the car, it has to be with all my fingers, not just one of my fingers. But the heart of a son beats light and free. The heart of a son says, I love him, and all I want to do is please him, and all I want to do is be with him. It's about our hearts. See, 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 our identification is that we are really, really, really sons. You are not what you once were. 
We must know the reality of our former state so that we can glorify him fully for his great work in our current state. I need to get where I was. I need to get the hopelessness of my, my, of my, of my, of my condition outside of Christ. Not so that I can wallow in what I used to be, but so that I can rejoice in what he has done in making me what I am now. You are not what you once were. In Jesus, we have a new allegiance to a new family filled with new devotion because we are new. We're new. We talked about this. Any, any leftover residual stuff is just, is just evidence that we still have some repenting and believing to do. We repent, we admit, and we abandon, right? Hey, I believe a lie here. That's not true. And we abandon it. We don't try to make excuses for it. We just admit it. Hey, that was dumb. That wasn't about, that wasn't about the addiction. That wasn't about the sin. That wasn't about, it was about me believing a lie about God. I admit it and I let it go. I abandon it. And then repent turns to believe. Believe, what do we say believe means? It means to embrace Jesus and entrust ourselves to him. I'm gonna grab a hold of Jesus. I'm gonna believe what he tells me about God. Do you know the scriptures say that everything about the Father can be seen in the Son? So your heavenly Father is just like Jesus. And when Jesus was presented a woman caught in adultery, he kicked her and told her, you shouldn't do that. That's bad and that's wrong. And let me let these dudes stone you to teach you a lesson. No. He loved her. He showed her what grace is. And he taught her how to walk in freedom. He turns his back and he says, anyone who follows after me will not fall into sin, will not walk in darkness. It's the way our heavenly father responds to us. So we repent and we believe. What do we believe? The gospel, the good news that God, come on, that God is immutably good and that we are unconditionally loved and accepted in him. When you're in him, you are loved and you are accepted. We repent and we believe. That's all we need. When you, when you come up against these things that, that seem to deny your identity and, and, and come against those affections, we just repent and believe the gospel. This is why Christians need to hear the gospel just as much as lost people need to hear the gospel. Because in his goodness, he still allows us to discover new areas of our thinking that need to be won over to him. So then the next turn, because here's the amazing thing. We, if we stopped right there, that would be like enough to like throw a party over for like the next, I don't know, couple hundred years, conservatively. But that's not where the text ends. Let me say it this way. That's not where the good news lets up. If, if it wasn't good enough that he redeemed you, he adopted you. If it wasn't good enough that he adopted you, he won over your affections. If it wasn't good enough that he won over your affections, he actually made you into something new. If it's not enough that he does that, your identification manifests in delegation. Identification manifests, or identification manifests in delegation. What do we mean by that? That by delegation, we mean that the rights and responsibilities associated with our sonship are ours. That doesn't sound right. Well, it's, it, it does if you read the Bible. 
So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if, everybody say if. If a son, then an heir through God. This is where I don't have time to do a teaching with you on, on adoption in the first century. But see, see, this is the problem. God did not adopt you. Hear me right now. God did not adopt you because he was lonely. <laughs> okay. Remember my email? Do you need that again? Okay. God didn't need you. He already had a way better son than you. Anybody have that sibling that you know your parents love more than you? Like, I know that might be really tragic to some people, but for me and my family, it was just like, well, no, it makes sense. One of my parents, I won't name him, but one of my parents' sons was just better than the rest of us. He never got brought home in a police car. He never got, you know, in trouble. He never got, my parents never had to bail him out of anywhere. It's like, of course you love him more than you love us. If you don't, you're a bad parent. Listen, our big brother Jesus is a better brother than us. God didn't adopt you because he needs you. And here's why I bring that up. In first century Rome, the, the audience that Paul was writing to here, they didn't understand adoption as it relates to uh, adopting somebody because you just had an empty house and you just wanted to have a kid around. The reason why first century Romans adopted people, specifically sons, was because they needed to, to pass down their authority to that son. Specifically, high-ranking people would do this to make allegiances, to, 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 to share authority, so their households would be stronger. Now, 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 this is where we have to tension this, right? We add nothing to God. God doesn't need you because he's like, well, I think I'd be a little bit tougher if I just had some really rebellious people. No, but we need to understand that we were, we were brought into the family of God. We were adopted for the sake of delegation so that we might actually fulfill the purpose that God has in having us as his creation. So we are heirs in God, or we are heirs through God in Christ. We are heirs. The, the text, I love this, it starts with this and it ends with this. Verse one, I mean that the heir, that's what he's trying to talk about. And because he knows our hearts are gonna reject, well, I'm not an heir of God. He walks us through the turns that I just walked us through so that he would get to the point where we realize, oh, wait, yep, he's right. I am an heir of God. And so the rights and, come on, somebody, the responsibilities associated with sonship are now delegated to me. We are now included, this is good, we are now included in the unstoppable purpose of God and engaged as agents in the plan of God because of our union with the purpose of God. I'm going to say that again. We are now included in the unstoppable purpose of God. We talked about that at the beginning, right? That's what we're talking about, the, uh, the, the, that you can't cancel Christmas. Realize you're included in that thing that can't be canceled. So we, we, we are now included in the unstoppable purpose of God and engaged as agents in the plan of God because we are in union with the purpose of God. This is why it's so right and so good for Christians to get excited about Christmas. Because it's a reminder to us that, oh wait, hey, regardless, come on somebody, regardless of the current circumstances or what my life or my world might look like right now, God's purpose is unstoppable. That he still has a plan, that he still has a purpose, that he's still at work in the midst of all of this. And so Christmas is not about presents and trees. It's not even, it's not even about baby Jesus. It's about 
the, the incarnation of Emmanuel, God with us. That at the right time, we're going to talk about this next week, at the right, at the perfect moment in human history, in the story of mankind, at the exact right moment, Jesus steps in. And that same thing is true of your story. At the exact right moment, come on, Jesus stepped into your life. Big picture, he stepped into your life. And hear me, you might be going through something rough right now. Here's, I, I got a prophetic word for you. You are. You know what you're going through? 2020. And at the right moment, at the exact right moment, Jesus is stepping into your story. It can't be stopped. You say, well, I messed up and I screwed up. You can't, be, you can't stop it. You cannot stop him. You can't cancel his purpose and plan in your life. And we are now, as delegated authority, designed to be his agents in fulfilling that plan and purpose because we are united with him in person. Take heart, beloved. Though the winds, come on, though the winds may, may blow against your sails, may the, though the, the waves may batter against the ship of your life, come on, he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. He puts you in that storm for a reason. Can I let you know the truth of what I actually believe? I don't believe he put you in that storm for a reason. I, that was a lie. Can I tell you what I actually believe? He is the storm. You're right in the middle of what poets called the reckless, raging fury that we call the love of God. You're right where he wants you to be. Because anything that's going to get broken up in that storm isn't in him. And anything that isn't in him isn't worth your time because it is weak and it is worthless. You received, according to the scriptures, a kingdom that is unshakable. So anything shaking in your life just needs to be let go. Because he wants all of you. And we're called as delegated authorities to be a part of that mission everywhere we go. Calling people to redemption so they can be adopted, so they can have new affections, so they can have a new identity, so that they can join in this journey with us as well. That's what we mean when we say you can't cancel Christmas. I think it's time we take our place in God's plan. And we rise up and we say, we, 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 we say like our big brother, I must be about my father's business. I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know culture and everything says I'm supposed to go this way. And I know everything. I know all the expectations of everybody around me says, this is what I need to do. And this is where I need to go. But I must be about my father's business. Let's stand to our feet.